0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Mission with Zena Del Lowe, a podcast for artists and storytellers about changing the world for the better through story. For the last few episodes, we've been talking about character. And this is all well and good because your entire story hinges on character. There's nothing more important in your story than that. So today, I want to take a look at a different aspect of character. Namely, why do we prefer characters to real people? And I'm going to argue that it's because characters are better than people. Characters are better than real. What do I mean by that? Well, why do we call them characters and not real people? I mean, besides the fact that they're made up. Because I don't actually think it's just because they're made up. I think it's because they're better than the real people. See, when things are better than real, it means they've surpassed the real thing. They're more comprehensible to us. They're more knowable. They're more consistent. They're definitely more fascinating. And they're certainly more exciting because all the boring parts have been taken out. Flannery O'Connor said, Sometimes people have accused me of creating characters that are not like real people. I'm not trying to write real characters. I'm trying to write good characters. Now, of course, one of the primary rules of writing is that our characters must ring true to the audience. Nevertheless, we can't forget that our characters are actually constructed. This isn't a slice of life. We don't want them to actually be real. We want them to feel real. To that end, Here are a few aspects of their existence that make them better than real people. And these are things that we should keep in mind as we're writing our story. Number one, characters are compressed in time. Just try to fit a real person's life into a book or a movie. You can't do it. It's too much. Even historical pieces about true historical figures don't try to cram in every aspect of that person's existence. If they did, the story would be all over the place. It wouldn't even make sense. Their lives are just too big to try to include every single event. So we select one event, one particular time frame that we're going to milk for everything it's worth, a specific season of life with a clear beginning, middle, and end. You have to have a clear view of the specific story you're trying to tell. Stories deal with a specific time frame, a particular segment of that character's life that stands alone as relevant or important. So a lot of times, if you're having trouble in your story, it may be because your story is too big and you need to narrow down the scope. Number two, their lives are vetted for our entertainment. We have to compress our stories in time and deal with one particular event. But in order to do that, it means we have to select only those details that matter. That's what I mean by their lives are vetted for our entertainment. We literally go in and just choose the things that are relevant to the particular story we're trying to tell. The details can't be random or nonsensical. The details must make sense. The heart of every story is a personal paradox. There's nothing new under the sun. There's only the person that it's happening to that makes it different. And that is why the details matter. The details are what make those characters real to us. The details are what excite the audience and draw us in. We connect more deeply when the ideas are specific and precise We don't connect deeply when stories are communicated in bland, generic terms or when the language that is being used is vague or ambiguous. For example, you never want to write a sentence like she picked flowers at the front of her house when you can write something more specific like she picked tulips. Or better yet, she picked yellow tulips, the soft golden petals clashing against the clumpy blood-red soil of the flower bed. All right, that may not be a good sentence, but the point is you want to paint a picture that's vivid, not just so that the audience can see it in their mind's eye, but because the details mean something about the character. So let's call this character Maggie. And as her story unfolds, what we might discover is that these tulips were dug up from the garden where her mother died when Maggie was only 12. And then the property was sold and Maggie was sent away. But when she grew up, she snuck back onto that property in the dead of night just to dig up her mom's tulips, which she then planted around her own home. So now, she's not just gardening. Every time she's out there, she's connecting to her deceased mother. The details are where we find the character's depth. It's also where the audience connects. However, you wanna make sure that the details are actually relevant to that particular story. Have you ever had a friend who told stories in a meandering way where they'd go off on a tangent and mention stuff that had nothing to do with what the story was even about? Oh my gosh, that kind of storyteller is literally the most frustrating. And that's how our readers are going to feel about us if we include details that ultimately have nothing to do with the story. We call these red herrings and they frustrate the audience and you don't want to do that. Make sure you only choose the details that play into the narrative in some way. For example, back to our Maggie story, let's say Maggie is stuck. She's still grieving from her past. Maybe she has unresolved trauma related to her mother's death. And so the real story then is about how Maggie heals from these wounds so that she can move on. And somehow the garden is going to play into that. The tulips are going to come into play in the narrative. Every single detail in the story plays into the narrative in some way. There's nothing superfluous or unneeded. Everything has a part. Real life is messy, disorderly, chaotic. A lot of times it doesn't make sense but our characters' lives are better than real because every detail of their lives has a purpose. Number three, normal life does not have heightened, sustained conflict. If it did, we would die. We literally would have heart attacks if we had to stay in the state that our characters stay in for their entire story. Everything that happens in story is either exciting or on the verge of being exciting or temporarily coming down from a time that was just very exciting. And once we have a chance to breathe, guess what? We're gonna start revving up again to being exciting. So the name of the game is to constantly keep your character in a state of heightened conflict. Each scene must build suspense or add tension to keep everyone on edge, including us. We skip all the boring parts. Life is boring, but story is not. Think about John Wick. That guy lives in a state of heightened conflict. He goes from battle to battle to battle. When does he ever have any downtime? Now, there may be moments where it's implied that maybe he got to sneak in a little catnap, but we don't get to see it because it's boring. We should never see our characters doing boring or irrelevant stuff unless those moments are meant to raise the tension or the stakes of the story. For example, how often do you see a character going to the little girl's room? If we see them going into the little girl's room, then either something happens in that moment that takes the scene into a heightened state of conflict, or the scene is deliberately being used to show the ho-hum of the character's daily life, and we know that something crazy is just around the corner, and their whole life is about to be turned upside down. Real life is tedious, dull, boring, but our characters live in a state of heightened conflict. They're always involved in something exciting, and that's why they're better than real. Number four, we have extraordinary access to them we know characters in a much deeper, much fuller way than we could ever know anyone in real life. We know who those characters are. And this is especially true by the time we reach the end of the story. Whatever emotional journey our character's been through, they've arrived by the time they get to the end of the story. They've stepped into the person they were always meant to be. And there is no going back. Their arc is complete. They're done. The journey's over. Unlike in real life, where people can experience a breakthrough, but then they can go back, they can regress. You never know if it's going to stick. Now, our characters may ebb and flow in their progress over the course of the telling, but by the time they've reached the end, the time for regression is over. And this is why sequels are so often disappointing. All too frequently, the writer subverts all the growth that the character went through in the first story, because he has that character rehashing the same exact issue in the sequel. We naturally rebel against this. We're like, what? No way. He's already learned this lesson. He already did this once. Having learned it once, we expect it to stay with our character forever. And then we also think, wait a minute. If he didn't really learn the lesson the first time, then what was the whole point of the first story? It makes the entire journey meaningless, because story only has meaning insofar as the character grows and changes over the course of the telling. The point is, once the story resolves and the character has learned their lesson, we expect them to stay in that higher state of consciousness for good. Number five, they have a consistency we can count on. That means that they have to be comprehensible and believable to us. Their actions need to ring true in accordance with who we've come to understand them to be. And this is why it's so important to make sure that your characters act in a logical, reasonable fashion. If you have them do something that's out of character, your audience will know it. They'll feel it and it'll bug them and it might even make them angry. This certainly happened to me by the last season of Game of Thrones. The people I had come to know were acting like idiots. Jon Snow was not the Jon Snow that I knew him to be. And anytime we see a character acting in a way that isn't consistent with how we know them to be, how they are, it immediately causes the audience to shut down and detach. We stop caring. Or worse, our love transforms into hate. Now, don't confuse the notion of consistency with the idea that your character can't do something surprising. They can surprise us. They should. But the surprising behavior must not go against their fundamental nature. We know who they are and we expect them to behave accordingly. They have a consistency that we can depend on. We can count on it more than we can even the people in our real lives. To recap then, we generally prefer characters to real people because characters are better than real. And they're better than real in the following ways. They're compressed in time. Their lives are vetted for our entertainment. Real life does not have heightened conflict, but theirs does. We have extraordinary access to them, and they have a degree of consistency that we can count on. So these are some of the things that we want to look at when we're writing our own characters and developing our own stories. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found this episode useful. If you did, would you consider writing up a review and rating the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts? We really need those, and apparently with enough positive feedback... We can even be featured in the new and noteworthy section, which would honestly be super cool. So please do that if you feel so compelled. In the meantime, you have been listening to The Mission with Zena Del Lo. May you go forth and change the world for the better through story.